El Fanboy, Episode 2. Everybody, what's going on? It's me, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR, checking in on you here for episode number two of Elf Fanboy. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a week, man. It's been a week. I was all set to record this episode back on Tuesday, and I woke up feeling like I had a goddamn knife going down my throat every time I swallowed. Uh, found out that I had a, a bad case of tonsillitis. Uh, my voice was gone, and I had to take antibiotics for the last couple days. But uh, as you can tell, I'm back, and I'm ready to sound off on a whole bunch of shit. Now, I'm going to start things off by addressing the fact that I've uh, I've thought long and hard on the topic, and I know last week I was sort of waffling on the future of this here show. And I want you guys to know that this will be continuing. El Fanboy is here to stay. I've decided I'm going to keep the show going. Uh, last week, I was sort of on the fence because, you know, I mean, let's be honest. I had just lost one of my jobs, you know, uh, the one over at that site where I'd been for three and a half years, where most of you know me from. And honestly, you know, when you lose some income, the last thing you want to do is go, hmm, all right, now what more expenses can I add now that I'm making less money? And, you know, uh, running a podcast and doing it the right way, uh, it does cost a little money. So uh, it's going to come out of my pocket at a time when I should probably not be doing this. But I'm a dumb, uh, impetuous, passionate, impulsive fool. And uh, I enjoy this too much to give it up, so I'm going to be bankrolling the El Fanboy podcast, and I'm going to be trying to get this right. I also want to apologize for all the technical difficulties. I'm still sort of figuring all this out. When I was on the other show, you know, I didn't have to worry about logistics. I didn't have to worry about any of that behind-the-scenes stuff. All I had to worry about was getting a mic in front of my big-ass mouth and just talking to you. But uh, now I got to learn how to actually do this right. So uh, I want to apologize again for last week, the Kelvin segment not sounding so hot. That was me just attempting to sort of cut corners. I didn't have the software to properly record the call. So we tried to do it through Kelvin's laptop and uh, something went haywire on his end. I can't fault him. He was just doing me a favor. But uh, And then, of course, on the bonus episode for the Logan review, I found out that the mic I was using on that one, for some reason, only recorded... On one side, so last uh, that bonus episode was only going into one of your ears or coming out of one of your speakers there. So uh, I'm sorry. I will get these technical things worked out. I don't think today is going to be an issue because I'm using my uh, my standard mic that I've been using for the last year, and I'm not doing anything fancy on the technical end. It's literally just me talking to you. So if I screw this up, man, I sh I, I should just quit. Um, I also just want to address before we get into the week's news and everything, just, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm still sort of floored by all of the support I've gotten since uh, that unexpected thing happened to me last week. Uh, it's been one hell of a ride, but I really tried to hit the ground running and it looks like a bunch of you guys are running with me and I can't even fucking tell you how much that means to me. Uh, the Logan video review is doing really, really well on YouTube. It's got a ton of views. Uh, every day I get an email or two about a new subscriber. 
And the response to that uh, review has been very, very positive, uh, which kind of surprises me because I didn't even realize that that shit was a half hour long. <laughs> like I recorded it pretty much all straight through. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, all right, that was probably like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And when I looked at it, I realized a half hour had gone by. And I'm like, this is way too long. Nobody's going to like this. Nobody's going to watch this. No one's going to want to listen to this shit. And instead, it's been beautiful. You know, I have a new YouTube channel and it's growing really strong, you know, really quickly. The Elf Fanboy Podcast uh, has its own YouTube channel now. So you guys have to check that out. I plan on making all kinds of new video content, which I didn't used to do. I'm going to make that part of my new offerings now that I am a solo act. I'm going to be putting up some exclusive videos, exclusive specific rants on things that are going to be video only. Um, and I'm going to make, don't worry, it's not just going to be you staring at me sitting in a chair. I have some pretty good plans for, for what the videos are going to look and feel like that I'm going to produce for y'all. Um, and another announcement I want to just, uh, hit right off over here, right off the bat is, you know, I was already looking for, for new places to bounce to. Uh, like I told you guys, uh, when, when this sudden development occurred last week, you know, it really is just something that happened a few weeks earlier than I was planning for because I had already started asking. And it's funny. That happened on Monday. And by Wednesday, your boy, who you're listening to right now, actually signed a deal with IGN. They sent me over a contract and I'm officially a freelancer over at IGN. Uh, they're good. And what the beauty of it all is they want me to do pretty much all I want to do, which is editorials and reviews. And that's one of the things that was sort of pissing me off at the other place. I'm kind of over the whole daily news grind. I don't like that stuff. It's boring for me. And I, I'm never going to do that again, no matter where, like, if I do end up at another site full time, it's never going to be like the daily news stuff. I'm just, I can't, it, it sucks the soul out of me to be writing articles about like, here's the latest bonus feature on a Blu-ray. Here's a new poster. Here's trailer 17 for the 27th Marvel movie. I can't do it anymore. When I, when I write, when I speak, I want it to just be me talking to you guys about how I feel about what's going on out there. That's what does it for me. That's what gets me going. And that's what IGN wants from me. And God damn it, I can't wait for my first assignment. Uh, it's kind of one of these things where it's like it's, it's by assignment. So it's not going to be like a regular thing. So I will let you know when the first one comes. I'm going to be shitting a brick when it comes because that is going to be easily the biggest stage I've ever been on in terms of, uh, you know, being a writer because IGN's readership is huge and it is rabid. And I always crack up because at the other site, like I'd be doing cartwheels if a, if a com if uh, an article I wrote got like 30 comments on it. Meanwhile, on IGN, even like a, uh, an article about look at the latest color of blue paint drying on this bathroom tile, uh, will get like 400 comments on it. So I'm like, holy shit, anything I write there, it's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to hear about it. And, uh, I just, it's going to be interesting. So I'll let you guys know when IGN sends me my first assignment and when you guys can check that out. I've also got handshake deals to write, uh, editorials for Joe Blow. Uh, and also obviously Kelvin has left me a beautiful open door over at Splash Report. I already gave them the written review for Logan. And my next review is actually going to be 
Kong Skull Island. So for those of you guys who enjoyed that video review of Logan, the follow-up will be about Kong Skull Island. I'm going to an advanced screening of that next week. So I'll let you guys know when the video review and text review of that go up. Similar to the Logan one, I'll be putting the text version on Splash Report, and I will be putting the video version up on lfanboy.com. But all right, I think that handles all the business for now. Uh, thanks again for everyone who has supported all those other endeavors. They are the YouTube channel, and I've also got my Facebook page that's been getting, uh, it's been growing a nice little bit there and on Twitter. And uh, now let's go ahead and dive into what you guys are really here for the meat and potatoes to talk about the week's news. So, the big thing. Uh, from from yesterday and the day before, these last forty eight hours have been usual. It's kind of perfect that I didn't uh, do the, the the podcast on Tuesday because the biggest stories actually hit in these last two days. So the first one we got to touch on is Matt Reeves is officially directing the Batman. Had I recorded this on Tuesday, my Matt Reeves coverage would have centered on the fact that he walked away from the Batman. And now, here we are. Lo and behold, he's back in. So it's official. He's locked in. There's been a Warner Brothers press release. They've issued a whole official statement on the matter. And Matt Reeves is officially taking over as the director now, you know, after Ben Affleck stepped down a few weeks back. So a couple things. Uh, I know last week... I kind of sounded a little bit nonplussed about Reeves. I thought, eh, you know, I uh, he just he doesn't really work up that much of uh, that work that much emotion for me. But you know what? Shortly after I recorded that, um, I started thinking more and more about him and what he brings to the table and where he comes from. And it's funny because it came from sort of just my stream of consciousness response last week when I was talking to you guys. I, I hit on the fact that he comes from this creative collective of guys that, like, this is what they do. And after I recorded that episode, I started thinking more and more about that and doing more research. And it's funny, if you, even if you look at the press release that, was, that came out yesterday for his official hiring, you know, the producer Toby Emmerich said, we are thrilled to have Matt Reeves taking the helm of Batman, the crown jewel of our DC slate. Matt's deep roots in genre films and his evolution into an emotional world-building director make him the perfect filmmaker to guide the Dark Knight through this next journey. And that's the thing. He kind of hit on what I've been thinking about for the last week and a half. World-building. I mean, if you think about it, if you really think about it, Matt Reeves comes from this collective of talent that includes names like J.J. Abrams. It includes Drew Goddard. It, inclu it includes Alex Kurtzman, Roberto Orchi. If you look at what these guys have done in the last 15 years or so, and they all, you know, the fact that like they all came up together at the same time doing shows with J.J. Abrams you realize that these guys all have some sort of knack for taking beloved properties, looking at them objectively, saying, okay, this is what worked, this is what didn't work, this is the fresh spin we could put on it, let's go ahead and rebuild this world, this once beloved world, let's bring it back to life. And there really is like a, a common thread if you look at it. When you're looking at names like Reeves, Goddard, Kurtzman, Orchie, and Abrams, from that collective of talent, 
we've gotten the rebirth of the Star Trek franchise because you know you know got you they you know Bad Robot those guys they relaunched Star Trek back in what was that 09 and I thought that was really good. They also obviously Abrams brought Star Wars back with the Force Awakens and now it's back on top and it's doing huge and I thought the Force Awakens was great. I know some of you are going to argue with me that it was too much of a remake of uh, A New Hope and we can discuss that at a later date. I I actually want to have a whole Force Awakens themed episode later this year when uh, The Last Jedi is coming out. Um, they also did, you know, Matt Reeves himself is responsible for the rebirth of the Planet of the Apes franchise, which, you know, that pretty much looked like it was going to be dead in the water after uh, Tim Burton did that remake in 01 that went nowhere. And then Reeves came on for the second film in this new franchise and look, you know, look at what he's done with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And now from what I'm hearing, War for the Planet of the Apes is going to be phenomenal. Um... And then, you know, Alex Kurtzman was, is he's the one overseeing what's going on with the Universal Monsters. That whole franchise is going to take off with The Mummy. And Kurtzman is being treated as the guy to basically do some world building over there. Are you seeing a theme here? World building. And, uh, you know, and then you got Goddard, who, you know, he wrote The Sinister Six, which didn't even happen. But that's because Sony got cold feet after The Amazing Spider-Man uh, didn't do what it wanted to do. But Goddard is someone else who, you know, he, he understands the idea of taking a mythology and adapting it for the big screen. And now there's talk about him working on, uh, what was it, on Deadpool 2, I think. You know, all these guys from that, from that, from that late 90s, early, early zeros era with J.J. Abrams have come out doing some huge, huge stuff in terms of world building and remaking and rebuilding beloved franchises. This seems to be what they are great at. And now that I think about it in those terms, I actually think Matt Reeves could be the person who saves the DCEU. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why he was playing hardball, because he wants control. He wants to be able to do what he wants to do, make the film he wants to make. And that, you know, from what I hear, everything that happened last week when he walked away, it all stemmed from a desire for more control. I get the sense, and this is just me speculating, but based on what I've heard from official sources um, and you know, mixing it with my speculation, I get the sense that when he was brought in initially, they were like, listen... We want you to come in here, take the script that Affleck and Johns were working on and that Terry did a, a rewrite on and stick to this as your foundation. This is where we want to go with this. This is how this will fit into our greater plan. And Reeves said, fuck that noise. I want to be able to go in whatever direction it is that I want. I don't want to be hamstrung by what you guys had going before I came in here. And, you know, he played hardball. He said what he had to say. And then he walked away. And Warner Brothers thought long and hard on it. And what did they do? They ultimately, they caved. And now he's going to have the control and the freedom with which to explore the Batman mythology. And that's why I'm thinking the next big announcement to come is going to be about a page one rewrite. Um, 
you know, that's just my prediction. It's not, you know, that I haven't heard from my sources, but I just think the writing is on the wall for that, that one of the conditions, one of the things he said he wants and might've been one of the reasons that both sides were butting heads so hard was that he wants to be able to shape this movie from the ground up and not just come in as a hired gun and direct whatever it is that they wanted him to direct. So I'm pretty sure the next announcement is going to be about a page one rewrite. Um, and you know, it just, in terms of all this DCEU stuff, you know, it, it's interesting to me how much of it they want to build around Batman. I mean, I guess it shouldn't be a surprise. It really shouldn't, but it's just, you know, we've already had an ass full of Batman for the last, I would say 12 years. Batman Begins came out in 05. So we've had an ass full of Batman and if you look at the way they're shaping the DCEU, you know, the original slate that they announced in 2014 was not so Batman centric. It didn't even mention a solo Batman movie on it. Um, you know, it, it focused on Justice League and, 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 you know, you had the Flash and Cyborg and Aquaman and Green Lantern Corps and all this stuff. It didn't really seem to be like completely centered around Batman, but now everything has come out since. I mean, all right, you're going to have Suicide Squad 2, apparently. You're going to have Gotham City Sirens, which is also, you know, a spinoff of Suicide Squad, which is a spinoff of the Batman mythology. And then, you know, you're going to have the Batman, obviously. And then yesterday they also announced that now there's going to be a Nightwing movie. Um, so it's like they really want to make... You know, the, the DCEU is really just Batman and friends, it seems like. That really seems to be their their focus and their priority. And, you know, coming from like a Superman fan, you know, that's kind of a bummer. You know, I, I kind of just, you know, considering that this whole new DCEU was launched on the back of a Superman movie, with Man of Steel being the first film set in this new canon, I was really hoping that fucking Superman could be the star of this. You know, I just, it boggles my mind that they can't get it right, that that they can't get Superman to be, you know, likable, sympathetic, vulnerable, and an interesting character to get behind. It seems like they just, they've given up on trying to do that, and they'd rather just go, all right, fuck it, let's just give them more Batman and 80 shades of Batman. And that's just sort of, you know, it just, for me, that is disappointing. It really is. Uh, but yeah, so there's going to be this Nightwing movie. Chris McKay, who directed the Lego Batman movie, is going to do it. And I don't know, you know, there's not much to know about Chris McKay. You look up his, uh, his, his resume and you realize a lot of it is just TV. And a lot of it comes from satire. A lot of it is, you know, Robot Chicken. And he did the Lego Batman movie just now. And he seems to be good at like lampooning stuff and satirizing and sort of just having fun and bringing levity to these to these kinds of uh, fanboy pro, you know, uh, projects. And I, I kind of so so my my initial read on the Nightwing situation and why they brought in Chris McKay is that it's fairly clear he's being brought in as part of this effort to lighten things up. I don't think Nightwing is going to be a comedy by any stretch. It's not going to be like a live action extension of the Lego Batman. But if you just look at this guy's strong suits and what he's known for, you can tell that Nightwing is going to be probably a lighter, more fun movie than we have seen so far. And, you know, just like with uh, with the announcement from, from Dwayne Johnson last month 
about how the DCEU is moving towards a, in a direction of, of hope and optimism and fun, Chris McKay seems to go perfectly in that mold. So my first read on the Nightwing situation is, okay, so they're going to be lightening things up. Uh, that's why they want McKay. And then also, you know, last night on the Twitter, I went off on a bit of a theory. I, I kind of just, it, it, it just literally left out uh, from my brain, through my fingertips, into the phone, and I, I blurted out a theory that if you guys missed it last night, I'm going to just reiterate the nuts and bolts of it. Um, as you guys know, these last few weeks have been sort of tumultuous behind the scenes. You know, there's all these rumors that Ben Affleck wants to bail, and there's all this talk about the Batman, no matter what, being his last movie. And we know that, you know... The, it just seems like there's a lot that's up in the air. There's the whole thing with Matt Reeves coming and going and coming again. I think one of the things that came out of all these meetings and why this Nightwing movie was announced pretty much the same day as the Matt Reeves thing is the Nightwing movie is going to pave the way for the guy who's going to take over for Ben Affleck. I think they're going to go a route that's been that's that's been explored in the comics before where Dick Grayson is going to end up being Batman. And they realize we can't just introduce Dick Grayson in the Batman and then just by the end of it make him, you know, have have him inherit the cowl. That would be too rushed. So I get the sense that this Nightwing movie came from all of these discussions and they decided, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a Nightwing movie that's going to get everyone invested in this fun, badass Dick Grayson. Then we're going to have him pop up in the Batman. We're going to introduce that idea, possibly in Nightwing, that the Batman is a symbol and that Bruce Wayne is looking to pass that mantle down at some point. And then by the end of the solo Batman movie, he will pass down the cowl to, you know, to Dick Grayson. Uh, I really think that's the that's going to be the sequence of things. I think this also works with with uh, Ben Affleck's original deal, because as Kelvin and I discussed last week, it looks like Affleck always had a hard out as part of his deal. He always had a hard out where, listen, I'm going to make a few of these movies with you guys, but then we're going to segue into something like a Batman Beyond, where there's going to be a younger guy who takes over, and I can maybe just do a cameo in future movies as like the older, retired Bruce Wayne. So he always had an out, and I think that they're just realizing like we need to get to that out right away, because Affleck really doesn't want to be here anymore. And listen, that's not a knock on Affleck. Like I wrote on the site last week, if you've got if you guys have visited lfanboy.com at all, I posted a little thing last week about how I, I discovered that the reason for a lot of what's going on with Affleck is actually more personal than it is professional. And it kind of makes me look at the whole thing a little differently. Uh, I'm not going to get into the details just as I didn't there. I don't want to get into like the sleaze and the celebrity gossip. It's not my place. But just know that it sounds like Affleck, the man, needs this. He needs to sort of be able to take a step back, reassess his next steps, get his affairs in order before he can kind of just commit to something again. And looking at it through that lens, I totally understand why he probably needs to step away from all this. So there's kind of like a no hard feeling situation right now if he does end up bailing on the DCEU. Um, 
And, and look, if they do it right, if they really do do it right, by introducing a good Dick, Dick Grayson that gets us all excited in Nightwing, and then have him pass the cowl down in the Batman, then, you know, who can fault them? Who can fault them? Um, then, you know, one of the other big topics is, you know, who might play Nightwing? And I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking it's going to be Army Hammer. I really get that sense. I mentioned it in a fantasy casting like two months ago. Uh, he's been sort of like lingering around in the background. There were those pictures that went up on social media of him with Joe Manganiello, who's playing Deathstroke. And, you know, him and Jeff Johns had some fun playing with fans about the fact that Hammer seems to be working on something DC related. Listen, Hollywood's been trying to make Army Hammer a big deal for a while. For whatever reason, they see him as a big deal. And I'm not questioning them from you know, the guy seems to have chops. He's not he's more than just a guy with a good look. He seems like someone who's, you know, who who's pretty good. Uh, I've had one of my best friends who I who whose opinion I tend to value. Uh, he told me that I need to see the man from Uncle because apparently Army Hammer is really good in it. And the chemistry between him and Henry Cavill, who plays Superman, is very, very good to watch. Very fun. So that's got me thinking, you know, if you look at the fact that Hollywood wants this guy to be a big deal between the Lone Ranger and the man from Uncle and some of the other high profile things, he was also cast as Batman back in 2009 when George Miller was going to direct Justice League Mortal. You know, he's one of these guys that like Hollywood's been trying to push on us. And I think this Nightwing movie is going to be when they finally really pull the trigger and, you know, they're going to try to make his Dick Grayson a huge, huge deal and because he's going to become the new Batman. And that's going to be fun for people, you know, the, that cult following that the man from Uncle has, get, has garnered because now it means that we will get Army Hammer and Henry Cavill together as the world's finest Batman and Superman. It just won't be Bruce and Clark. It'll be Dick and Clark. Ah, Dick Clark. Anyway, um... So I think Army Hammer is probably the front runner to play Nightwing, and I think he probably has been for a while. And I I, I would expect an announcement about that. Uh, I wouldn't say soon because I, I I'm not really sure what the timeline is for any of these things. But I, I if if my speculation is correct that Nightwing is going to come first, and they're going to want to get that movie made pretty quickly then, you know, I think the Army Hammer casting might be one of the first bits of news that we hear about that movie post the official announcement that came yesterday. Um, so that's just sort of my feel on it. That's my speculation for where they're going with with Nightwing and Batman and all that stuff. Um, and just to sort of wrap up on the DCEU, you know, I really think Matt Reeves can be the guy who turns this thing around. Um, and I guess, you know, for me, the big question before I leave the DCEU, the big question is, what does this mean for having Jeff Johns as the guy overseeing things? How can he really be overseeing things if they're giving Matt Reeves a situation where he can build his own movie? Uh, how can he really be overseeing things if, from what I've heard, James Wan was also given a lot of leeway to make his Aquaman the way he wanted, because otherwise he would have left if they tried to, uh, you know, make him fit into John's vision. 
So I'm curious how all this works in terms of the power structure over at DCEU. You know, I have Warner Brothers DC Entertainment. You know that this has been a topic I've been investigating and, and, and looking up on and researching for quite a while now. I really don't know what the structure is there anymore. It's very confusing because you have Jeff Johns there as the chief creative officer. And in theory, he was going to be the Kevin Feige who oversees and maps out everything. But then you got guys like Matt Reeves coming in and saying, well, fuck that. I want full control. And then Warner Brothers going, all right, go for it. <laughs> so I really, I don't know. I, I don't know what all of this means, but I guess we're just going to have to see how it all plays out. Uh, for now, we have a very, very Batman future to look forward to. Um, and now let's move on, shall we? Uh, you know, Star Wars made a huge fucking announcement. Uh, Star Wars, you know, uh, StarWars.com announced that it's looking like, I, I, I want to get the, uh, I want to get the phrasing right. StarWars.com, you know, making Star Wars says that the original trilogy is going to get released on Blu-ray for the 40th anniversary. All right. Did you hear that? Did you hear that everybody? But long before George Lucas got his greedy mitts onto the old footage and added a whole bunch of crappy CGI before he made Greedo shoot first, before he added, no, before he did all of the bastardizations that he did to the original trilogy, there was the original trilogy, the theatrical cuts, the films that brought us into that world to begin with. They got us so excited about that galaxy far, far away. We are finally going to get to see those on a proper home release for the 40th anniversary later this year if, if, uh, if what Making Star Wars is reporting is true. They say you know, they, they, they do hedge their bets a little bit. The editor-in-chief of the site refers to it as a rumor, and he's sure to remind us of that, that it is a rumor. But I don't know. Yeah, he sounds very confident about it, and we know Disney has the... Uh, the the resources to make that sort of thing happen you know because one of the hang-ups was that i believe what i this is all off the top of my head but if memory serves a new hope was still technically owned by fox or something like that there was some sort of deal there where uh fox which was the original distributor for the lucasfilm original trilogy uh still owned some of the original trilogy stuff and Disney, you know, would have to work out a deal with them in order to get that and then release it. And it looks like uh, they're going to do it. And I think Disney has the bank to do it. So why the fuck wouldn't they? I mean, all along, I've just wondered, why wouldn't you do that? Especially now that Lucas is out of the picture and he was the one who was putting the, the kibosh on the whole thing. Give the fans what they want. At the worst, you're just going to make some extra loot on the side. So... Who who has anything to lose? The fans have everything to gain. The studio has pretty much nothing to lose. So on that front, thank God. Let's hope it happens. I think it will. And that is some of the big news coming out of Star Wars this week. There was also that first official photo from the Han Solo production, which has officially begun filming. Uh, and, you know, I was actually surprised. I was surprised. You know, Alden Ehrenreich... You know, when they first announced him and I saw the pictures of him, I'm like, yeah, this guy looks nothing like Harrison Ford, nothing like Han Solo. But you know what? In that shot, in the cockpit with the hair a little longer, I'm like, you know, I guess 
<clears throat> I guess I can kind of see it. I mean, listen, I'm still not sold in the fact that this movie even needs to fucking happen. But, you know, I I I can sort of visually see how he can carry on the Han Solo essence. I can I I can see that now thanks to that picture. Um and you know, one of the other big rumors is that we're gonna finally get a title for that movie. Cause you know, everyone's just been referring it to it as like the Star Wars Han Solo anthology film or Han Solo a Star Wars story. Uh the rumor is that at D23, uh, we're gonna get the official title reveal. So hey, I mean that works for me. You know, I wonder what it'll be. I wonder if it'll be something sort of like, you know, like uh the smugglers run. Or, you know, it's, it's going to be something sort of like uh, like an old school serial adventure, kind of like, you know, the, the way the old Star Wars films were titled with like, you know, uh, A New Hope, Return of the Jedi, The Empire Strikes Back, The Phantom Menace. I wonder if it's going to be something like that, but having to do with like smugglers. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I, I, I don't. You know, I mean, we'll see. We'll see how it how it plays out. But apparently, the wait won't be too long because they're going to do it at D twenty three, which they're also saying is going to be much bigger than usual event this year. And if you think about it, it makes sense. You know, uh, it's a Disney event, and Disney's got so much huge shit coming with uh, with the Avengers Infinity War and all of their Marvel plans and all of their ambitious Star Wars plans. We might even officially start finding out what the results of those January meetings were. Uh, if you ever listen to my other podcast, the one I'm no longer associated with, we used to discuss at length that in January, Kathleen Kennedy was supposed to have a bunch of meetings there with the rest of her Lucasfilm brain trust. They were going to evaluate what happened with Rogue One, and they were going to then use the information they got from Rogue One to decide which way to go. And, uh, you know, we haven't really heard which way they're going to go. It's been it's been a month. And maybe at D23, we're going to find out. Because even you got J.J. Abrams going out there teasing people that fans should be very excited about the future. So I have a feeling D23 is going to be a big one this year. We're going to find out the Han Solo title. We're going to find out what the future of the franchise looks like. Are we going to be getting more of these uh, Star Wars trilogy movies? Or are we going to be getting more of the Star Wars story anthology movies? Um... So, you know, I think we're going to be finding that out pretty, pretty soon. And if you're a Star Wars fan, as I am, that's, you know, there's a lot to be excited about on that front. Something else to be excited about is the fucking Power Rangers movie. I know that there's some of you that are like, oh, really, the Power Rangers movie? But I'm telling you, it looks really good. And they released a new trailer last week. And they also just released a new international trailer, which is very similar to trailer two. But it just has a slightly, slightly different footage. Um, and, you know, I really liked last week's trailer number three. It was only about a minute long. It was a little shorter than I expected. But I really liked it. You know, it, it seemed to take... It seemed to take itself in a much more fun direction. It was like, you know, cause the first trailer was very serious. If you guys recall, it was very serious. It very much played out like Chronicle. You know, it was a very serious sort of like dark looking Power Rangers reboot. And, um, you know, this, this one looks like now like, all right, so now we've let you know that this is going to be a different, uh, you know, a very different animal. 
But uh, now we want to remind you that this is also going to be fun. This is, this is a bunch of people in colorful, stupid Power Ranger costumes kicking putties around and driving zords. And uh, they played up the humor. They kept the tone very brisk and light and fun. And I, for one, cannot wait for Power Rangers to come out. Now, one thing I'm curious about, if I'm being honest, or one thing I'm anxious about, hmm, as I take a sip of my café, is the fact that Beauty and the Beast comes out the week before. And Beauty and the Beast is rumored to have a ridiculous opening. Right now, the tracking for that movie, the live-action version starring Emma Watson, they say it's going to have a $120 million U.S. debut, which is fucking staggering um that's probably the biggest of these live action remakes i mean i'd have to look i'd have to look it up but i get the sense 120 domestic in just its first weekend uh i don't think anyone's going to top that and the thing is it's probably still going to be riding on that momentum a week later when power rangers comes out so one more sip of my coffee so power rangers has a, a steep battle ahead of it because I don't care how good it turns out being, if the entire world is all about Beauty and the Beast, you know, Power Rangers may have a hard time getting noticed coming out a week after one of these, you know, behemoths that Disney's known for occurs. Uh, just like, like, who remembers what came out a week after The Jungle Book came out? You know what I mean? Whatever you think about the movie that came out a week after Disney launched one of its juggernauts, you know, that movie tends to get devoured by the Disney juggernaut. So that is something I'm very curious about. I'm going to see how that all plays out. Um, but yeah, you know, in terms of Power Rangers, I really like, I really dug that trailer and I still can't wait for that movie. Moving on, there was also the story that came out earlier this week about Mr. Joe Carnahan being brought in to co-write the script for X-Force. And now there's even talk he may direct the X-Force. And anyone who follows me on the Twitter knows that my heart is a flutter about that news. Uh, I really do think very highly of Joe Carnahan. He's someone who I think has just been one of these guys who's waiting for that for the stars to align to get that per that beautiful merger between artist and project. And I think X Force could be that. You know, if you look at his previous resume, if you look at like Smoke and Aces and you look at A-Team and you look at sort of what he's known for, X-Force is going to be right up his alley. And I really think, yeah, I mean, I, I was in love with the sizzle reel he put together for, uh, for, for that blind guy, Daredevil, uh, when he was trying to pitch uh, a, a very pulpy 1970s Daredevil movie to Fox before they gave the rights back to Marvel. Uh, I think the guy's got balls. I think he's got vision. Uh, like I said in a in a po in in a, in a posting yesterday, I think he's like he's like the love child of Quentin Tarantino and Michael Mann, and uh, maybe that's very you know, maybe maybe I'm too overly excited, but I really do think very highly of Mr. Carnahan. So hearing about him and X Force for me just feels like yes, that's it. That is a perfect merger of worlds right there. And a cool little subplot to all that was while me and my regulars were discussing this topic on Twitter yesterday, we tagged him in it. And wouldn't you know it, Mr. Carnahan took the time to like a couple of those tweets. 
So he was keeping up on the conversation, and he likes that we are excited about it. And then that got me wondering. You know, I know Mr. Rob Liefeld, the co-creator of Deadpool, is uh, he's fucking awesome, by the way, because he's so accessible on social media. And uh, I mean, we even had him on the old show, and he's been he's been a good friend. So I reached out to him um, on that public forum known as the Twitter. And I asked him, you know, what do you think of Joe Carnahan uh, coming on board for X-Force? And he referred to it as a championship move, if I ever heard one. So if that's not a ringing endorsement, I don't know what is. I do not know what is. For the co-creator of Deadpool to think that Joe Carnahan is a championship move, uh, you know, that's that's got to feel pretty good if you're Mr. Carnahan right now. And hearing that fans out there are excited has got to feel pretty damn good for Mr. Carnahan. And in general, I keep saying it, and I'm going to beat this dead horse until it's fucking dog food. Um, I really think we need to start taking uh, special care and attention for what Fox is doing over with their X-Men franchise. Um, you know, Logan is a fucking milestone achievement in the superhero genre, as I said in my review, and as you guys will see when it comes out, uh, Logan is fucking phenomenal, Deadpool was phenomenal, and you really get the sense that they are on a, they're about to blaze a very exciting new trail. And I know people like to go crazy about the continuity and the timelines and this doesn't match up and what are they going to do about this or that and the logistics. Listen, I don't. I almost think this works in Fox's favor. The fact that they've never been uh, a slave to a particular timeline or a particular continuity kind of works in their favor now because as they, as they prepare to sort of relaunch and rebrand and reimagine the future of the franchise now is when they can really sort of pick a direction and run with it and had they been a tied down a thousand percent to an old continuity it would be hard for them to do that pivot the fact that they've played sort of fast and loose uh kind of helps them now because it looks like they are going to rise from the ashes here like a pun intended phoenix uh, you get the sense that with these hirings for X-Force, you're getting Joe Carnahan involved, getting Drew Goddard involved, uh, the way they let James Mangold make this fucking spectacular Logan movie. Um, it really seems like, you know, the X-Men cinematic universe is on the cusp of a really, really special turning point that everyone has to pay attention to in the years to come. Um... And, you know, that's just, you know, the, the Carnahan thing for me was just further evidence of that, that they are getting the right people involved, they are pushing the right kinds of projects, and they're taking their time to get this right. They're not rushing these movies. They didn't say, they're doing X-Force and here's the release date for it, and here's this and here's that. You know, these movies are going to get the proper time and attention they need to be as good as they deserve to be. And... I can't wait. The other rumor coming from that corner of the world is that Mr. Simon Kinberg, longtime producer and writer of the franchise, is actually looking to bump up, bump up into the director's chair for the next proper X-Men movie, which is rumored to be called X-Men Supernova, uh, which, you know, as you guys know, is rumored to center on the Dark Phoenix saga. Um, you know, I don't really have a lot of opinions on it. 
it's it's a little weird to me to have a guy make his directorial debut on a movie as high profile as the next proper X-Men movie. But you know what? You know, first time directors have surprised us before, even within this universe, they've surprised us before because look what Tim Miller did with Deadpool. So, you know, first time directors, does you know, that doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing, especially if, if you're someone who's as steeped in the X-Men mythology as Kinberg is. So he definitely, you know, he's 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 been around long enough to know what these characters are and to know what works and to see what hasn't worked. And, you know, maybe this is the right time for him to, to come on up. I mean, I think this is one of the reasons why we haven't heard any news on the director, because it's going to be Kinberg. Because if you think about it, it's weird. The movie's set to film in just a couple of months. You know, Josh Boone's The New Mutants is supposed to start filming, I believe, in May. And X-Men Supernova is supposed to start pretty much right after, in June or July. How is it that we have not yet heard about a director? And I think the reason is, is because it's Kinberg, and he's already been secretly there doing all of the pre-production work, and they're just kind of waiting to make that all official. Um, Because they got to have a director. They got to have something going by now, because if they're going to be filming in a couple months, you got to think that it's a done deal. You really do. Um, And now... We're going to turn to uh, this weekend at the movies since, you know, I I couldn't start you off with the box office because it's already fucking Friday. So why talk about last week's box office? I would rather turn our attention towards the weekend that is to come Um, right now. There's really only one major movie that's coming out this year, uh, this year, this week that you guys have to pay attention to. And that is Get Out, uh, the Jordan Peele movie. Um, you know, he wrote and directed it, I believe. I know he directed it. I think he also wrote it. Let me make sure of that before I, yep, he wrote it too. Uh, the big thing about this, and this is pretty stunning. It's got 115 reviews in on Rotten Tomatoes and get this. It's got a hundred percent approval rating on the tomatometer. So nobody who has seen this movie has disliked it yet. That's pretty fucking crazy. So if you think about it, this movie is primed to do really well. You know, a lot of these low budget, high concept horror movies do well to begin with. Then when you factor in the fact that it apparently only costs like five million or less to make, you know, the studio is going to be very, very happy if this lives up to projections. And right now, the projections are around 20 million. The studio itself is being a little more conservative, and, and they're saying something in the high teens is what they'd be happy with. Um, but, you know, I would not be surprised if this movie overperforms. I would not be surprised, especially if on the, all the buzz of the great reviews, and the fact that it's sort of topical and sort of controversial with all of the racial undertones and with the uh, landscape we're living in in this country right now, uh, I would not be surprised if Get Out uh, surprises a lot of people and blows past twenty million and makes more like twenty-five or twenty-six. Uh, we will see. Of course, the big rival there will be the Lego Batman. Lego Batman made thirty-two point seven mil last weekend. And right now, people are saying that the projections, if you look, uh, are between, you know, 16 and 18 million, just kind of like what what the folks behind Get Out think it's going to make. So it's going to be a close race between those two. 
Um, and even just looking at last night's showings, last night Get Out had its Thursday preview performances and it made 1.8 or 1.7 million. And guess what the Lego Batman made? The same amount. And the Lego Batman's already been out a week. So for those of you guys who like following the box office, I have a feeling it's going to be a very close race between the Lego Batman and Get Out. My initial hunch is that Get Out is going to overperform and it's going to come out on top and that Lego Batman will come in second but be not that far behind. So that is sort of my prediction for this coming week. And there's nothing else that's coming out that's really all that exciting. Uh, so I'm not even going to go into all that. I have a feeling John Wick is going to hang in there too. It's probably going to have a very, very small drop-off. It made 16.3 last week. I would not be surprised if it pulls in like another 10 this week. Um, and then, you know, all eyes are going to be on next week. Next week is when Logan comes out, and I, for one, am going to be very, very curious how that does. Um, I'm not skeptical in any way, shape, or form. I'm just curious how it does because, you know, it's uh, it's different. It doesn't say X-Men in the title. It doesn't say Wolverine in the title. Hell, we drove past a billboard the other day, and my wife asked me, is that is that about Wolverine? Like, you know, the, in other words, lay people, mainstream casual film goers who aren't mouth-breathing turds like me don't necessarily know that this movie is an X-Men movie. So I'm curious how that's going to play, how that's going to help it, how that's going to hurt it. I don't know. Um, I'm having a little more coffee, so fucking deal with it. Mm. So, um, so yeah, so that'll be the big thing next week. And I can't wait for the movie to come out so that we can start discussing things about it. I want to spoil shit for you. I want to talk about some of the headier, deeper, more thought-provoking things about that film. But uh, I got to bite my tongue for now. So uh, come on, come on, see the movie. Let's get to next week already. Um, all right. And then something else I told you guys that I would be discussing today, since I am so rabid about Logan, since I am, you know, I've, I, I, I went ahead and, and called it the single best superhero movie of the modern era. Um, that got me thinking about what are my overall top three best superhero movies. And, you know, this isn't to say that it's, you know, this isn't the top three. This is my top three. All right. So if you want to argue with me, feel free to do so. I'd love to hear what your top threes are. Uh, but this is just my top three. OK, so don't get Don't anyone get your panties in a bunch. From my personal experience, these are the three superhero flicks of all time that if they're on, I will always watch them. And that will that they hold a special place in my heart because of the way they told the story and the direction they took. Okay, number one is Superman the movie. Uh, Richard Donner, Superman the movie. By the way, I haven't written anything down. This is all literally stream of consciousness style. So fucking deal with it. We're gonna deal with it this way. Superman the movie for me. I know it's popular to, for people to shit on it. Because they say, oh, it's so corny, it's so campy, it's so dated, it feels so from the 70s, blah, blah, blah. If you made it now, it'd be a joke. Well, you know what? You can't go by that. That is a childish, simplistic, bullshit 
immature way of looking at things. Because there's all kinds of classic movies that we understand are products of their time. You can't judge Charlie Chaplin's modern times by 2017 standards. You can't judge... Uh, it's a Wonderful Life with James, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart by 2017 standards. You can't judge The Godfather by 2017 standards. All of you, if you go back, classic films, yes, they are products of their era, but that doesn't make them, oh, no, well, now since movies aren't really made that way anymore, because, you know, if it came out today, it would be a laughingstock. You can't go by that, okay? So Superman the movie, for me, yes, it's a little corny. Yes, it probably wouldn't work in today's you know landscape, but that movie for me is a fucking masterpiece. What Richard Donner and creative consultant Tom Mankiewicz did with Mario Puzo's script is, for me, it, it's unbelievable. It's a classic what they did. It, it's three movies in one. You know, the Krypton stuff feels like its own distinct movie, its own look and feel. Then the stuff on Smallville, it looks, you know, it's also, it's, 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 it's fucking Capra. It's Frank. It's a Frank Capra movie, Americana. It's a it's it's a somber, melancholy look at an America that has that that, that has left us. And then you get to Metropolis, and it's a whole other movie with humor and it, the rat tat tat dialogue, and it's more. It's like it's, it's literally it's three different movies in one. And not only did, were they able to pull that off from an aesthetic storytelling standpoint, but they also made Superman a demigod. They made a demigod relatable and vulnerable and likable and made you love this alien. And that's always been the thing. People, oh, Superman is too overpowered. Oh, why should I feel for him if I know that he can you know, bounce his way back from anything and bullets fly off his chest? They found a way to make Superman vulnerable, which if you look at the current situation, people still have a hard time doing. You know, the current mold for Superman is to make him darker and more brooding and to make him this complex sort of like tortured hero. And you don't have to go that way. They found a way to, to focus on the elements of the character that are universal, that are human. His loneliness, his isolation, his feeling of being an outsider, his feeling of all I want to do is be the boy who plays football and gets the girl and comes home and makes my pop proud. He wants to just be... The, you know, just a normal everyday boy, but he's been saddled with this destiny of being the world's savior and the responsibility of that. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful in how tragic it is because here's a guy who just wants to be one of us. He wants to run off with Lois and have a bunch of kids and just have a normal life, but he can't do that. And that was the arc they explored in Superman the movie and in Superman 2. And that Singer tried to give a proper send-off to in Superman Returns. They made Superman relatable and likable. And it didn't matter that, that bullets bounced off his chest. Because he, you could break his heart even if you couldn't break his skin. And that's what was so powerful about that Superman. He had a heart and that was how you could hurt him. Um, so for me, Superman, the movie, despite some of its camp, despite some of the more questionable decisions they did, they made, 
Uh, I think for me, that movie is a God's honest classic and a masterpiece of the superhero genre. And it really is the basis for which everything that's come since, um, you know, Nolan has said that he looked at Superman, uh, Superman, the movie when he was making Batman begins, uh, Brian Singer has said he looked to that back when he was making his X-Men movies. And obviously he looked at it perhaps a little too hard when he was making Superman returns. But a lot of people, you know, uh, even Patty Jenkins was talking about Superman the movie in terms of Wonder Woman. You know, that movie laid down the DNA for so much of what we know and love and have come to expect from the superhero genre. And it also had the balls to not show the hero for like 45 minutes. We didn't see Superman for a while because they took their sweet time getting us to know and love and relate to Kal-El, Clark Kent, before we see him in the big goofy suit with the yes on his chest. And, you know, that sort of restraint, you don't really see that often or handled quite that well. So number one, boom, Superman the movie, deal with it. Number two, and this is another one that, like, I think this movie's great, and I feel like a lot of people felt that way too, but in the years to follow... They just kind of became cool to crap on it and knock it down a peg. But you know what? Fuck you, jaded people. I love the Avengers. The first Avengers for me was a goddamn Hallmark experience. I remember sitting in that theater and I was just riveted. I was from start to finish. It was so unbelievably exciting for me to see what they did. The way they took all of phase one and... They took all the crumbs, all the different things that were planted in those films and told a movie that brought all four of those heroes together, put them up against a villain that you love to hate and found a way to merge all those mythologies, make them all fit into each other. You have a Norse god. You have a dude in a robot suit. You've got a green rage monster. (laughs) You know, you've got all these different kinds of heroes And they found a way to make it all work. And it was so entertaining. You know, all those little scenes, like it's just for me, I was just blown away by it. Everything, the the Black Widow interrogation scene when she's dealing with the Russian mafia. When we get to meet Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner when he's in hiding and he goes to help the kid. And then he's surrounded by all those agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and that whole thing. Like the way they set everything up and then the payoff at the end, the Battle of New York for me, I think was so masterfully staged because they got all the things right that so many superhero movies get wrong. They got it right that superhero movies are about watching heroes save lives. What we are drawn to as children that gets us into these characters is watching heroes do heroic things. And during that sequence in the battle for New York, They weren't just focused on, let's watch these heroes kicking ass and looking cool. You saw them being heroes. You saw Captain America trying to reduce the collateral damage and talking with the police. You heard him and Iron Man mapping out, trying to keep the battle area really small and keep that radius small so we don't damage the city. 
You got to see the heroes being heroic. You got to see the civilians running in the streets, looking up at these heroes in awe. And look what these people are doing for us. They're trying to save us against these insurmountable odds. Like for me, that's what makes that whole sequence so wonderful because it's fun, but it's also got that whole intrinsic value, the intrinsic value of heroism worked into it. And I'll, I mean, I blacked out at one point. <laughs> this is going to sound really geeky, but I swear to you, I blacked out two different times from like shouting in the theater from excitement like a giddy little schoolgirl. This doesn't happen often, and that's why this movie is up there for me, because it's rare that a movie gets me to geek out this much. But when when uh, when Bruce hulks out and punches that crazy thing out of the sky, I flipped out and I shouted in the theater, and I shouted so hard that my vision got dark and I got a headache. Because I love that whole thing where like, I'm always angry. And for me, that was just such like a fucking badass moment. And it was such a beautiful, like, they finally got Hulk right. You know, after all the failed things with the Ang Lee movie and with the Incredible Hulk movie that wasn't as good as other people would have liked, but I actually kind of enjoyed. Um, In that moment... I saw the culmination of we finally got the Incredible Hulk on screen that I've waited my whole life to see, you know? Then I geeked out again during that long sweeping shot where you see every hero doing something crazy and badass in one long single take. And then for me, the other blackout moment where I shouted and laughed so hard that I got a headache was when he grabbed Loki by the feet and just smashed him around like a rag doll. I mean, you know, that movie for me, top to bottom, was top-tier entertainment. It was also top-tier superhero filmmaking. It, it was the perfect culmination, the capper to phase one. I just, there's nothing about that movie that I disliked. I mean that. I like the dialogue, I love the characters, I love the action set pieces, I love the pacing of it. I think The Avengers is easily the best of the MCU and the second best superhero movie that's ever been made after Superman the movie. Now this third one might be a little controversial because, well, I'm about to give it away, but you guys haven't seen it yet. And it also might be controversial because how can I go ahead and call this an all-time movie considering how new it is? And who knows? Maybe I will one day change my mind. But based on what I saw last week, based on the experience I had in that theater, Logan is the third best superhero movie ever. Um And I know you might be questioning the logic of this because technically the Avengers is part of the modern day superhero boom. And I already said Logan is the best. And, you know, if you want to question all that, you can go ahead and do that. I don't care. <laughs> this is my list, so deal with it. I really feel like, you know, for me, you know, the Avengers has a special place in my heart, so I have to give it above Logan. But I, for strictly from a story, from a filmmaking standpoint, Logan is probably the better movie, if I'm being honest. But Logan is my number three for this particular top three. Um, I really think it's amazing what they did. 
I think it's a movie that is the ultimate capper to 17 years of storytelling and world building in the X-Men cinematic universe. The acting, the directing, the music, the pacing, the, the, the way it's a mirror to our society, the way it's still fun and doesn't lose its way and take itself too seriously. For me, Logan is just, you know, groundbreaking filmmaking. So for me, that is my top three. You got Superman the movie, you got the Avengers, and you got Logan. Now, I know that there are other ones that everyone is going to say should have been on the list or, you know, people. There are movies that people love that I just unfortunately don't. You know, I've already discussed The Dark Knight, so I'm not going to go into that again. But for me, I think The Dark Knight's a little overrated. I think if you take out Heath Ledger's killer performance and the fact that he died and the mystique that that brings the movie, uh, I don't think The Dark Knight is is regarded nearly as highly. By the way, you might hear Sebastian crying in the bo- in the background. He's not crying because I didn't include the Dark Knight on this list. He's crying because his older sister was probably being mean to him, and my wife is not doing a great job policing that outside right now. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, so the Dark Knight, I think, is uh, overrated. And the other one that everyone always talks about as being one of the best ever is Spider-Man 2. And, you know, I don't know. I just can't, I don't know why I've never been able to get behind Spider-Man 2. I didn't dislike the movie, but I had, I had a number of issues with it. And, you know, the first of which was the fact that I didn't like that Sam Raimi suddenly changed the tone of the franchise from one movie to the other. I thought Spider-Man, the first one, played things straight. I thought it was a good movie, but I thought it played things straight. You know, it tried to be just like, you know, just a live action version of the comic books. And then, two, suddenly he started bringing in his, like, Evil Dead sort of campy, over-the-top stuff. Like, if you watch the scene when Doc Ock is created, and, like, the, the close-ups of, like, the scientist lady screaming, looking directly into the camera as she's getting dragged away. If you look even at when uh, Peter Parker loses his powers, and he's walking with the glasses with that aw shuck smile on. It's like, raindrops keep falling on my head. Like, I, I, for me, that pulled me out of it. To me, it was weird that Sam Raimi suddenly went from telling it straight to being sort of satirical and over the top. I didn't, I did not like that tone change. And then there were just little things too that I just thought like this is kind of hokey. Uh, that just for me didn't sit well. And listen, you know, like I said, this is my list. These are my personal opinions. If you think I'm nuts, I'm nuts. But if we're gonna be, if, if we're gonna nitpick here. Something I've always pointed out to people, and they go, oh, shit, I never thought of that, that I'm now going to point out to you guys, is um, Doc Ock is not superhuman, okay? He's got the tentacles, and those give him extra abilities, but he himself is not some sort of metahuman, okay? So bearing that in mind, when those scenes happen where he's fighting Spider-Man, and him and Spider-Man are basically having a boxing match and they're punching the shit out of each other, Doc Ock should be dead. <laughs> He's being punched by Spider-Man. Spider-Man is a metahuman. He is super-powered. He can throw cars and shit. So if you get punched by Spider-Man, guess what? Your head falls off. Doc Ock is not superhuman. So as soon as they started showing the two of them fighting on the side of a building... I'm like, hold the phone. 
Doc Ock would be dead, and the punches that he's landing on Peter Parker shouldn't even register. So that pulled me out of it, just like 90-year-old Aunt May hanging off the side of a building holding an umbrella pulled me out of it. Because again, it just felt a little too over the top. There's no way Aunt May is hanging on to a goddamn umbrella at her age off the side of a building. It just, for me, that movie just got a little over the top. And there were other issues, I'm not going to get into it, but I just wanted to address it because I know Spider-Man 2 is like a holy grail sacred cow for a lot of people. But for me, I think it's uh, it's overrated. If I were to go on with my list in no particular order, I would also mention The Winter Soldier. I would also mention Batman Begins. Um, but I'm not. I'm trying. I'm just going to keep this at three. All right. And uh, now we're just going to sort of wrap this thing up with uh, just, you know, guys, thank you so much for the support. And please keep it coming. The reviews seem to be making a dent. Uh, when I go to the iTunes and I look up the uh, and I look up the El Fanboy podcast, like a now it already comes up as an autocomplete, which that didn't happen at first. You start typing L fan, and by the time you get to like the A, El Fanboy podcast pops up. So it's starting to come up on the searches, and it always. Is nice when you go to, you know, it's got all five stars. It's got six absolutely humbling, beautiful reviews. You guys who took the time to write those, I mean, I, I, I instantly screen grabbed it and I texted them to my wife and my best friend because I couldn't believe what you guys said about the show, what you said about me. I am floored. And if I think about it, I'll start getting all weepy on you. So I'm not going to think about it too much. But if you guys can keep the reviews going, if you guys can share my stuff with your friends, go ahead to the El Fanboy YouTube page and subscribe to that and like the two videos I've put up. You know, if you guys help me, I can turn this into something. And I do have big ambitions for this. So if you want to help me, you guys can get in on the ground floor and let's build El Fanboy, the El Fanboy brand together. Uh, you guys have been working amazingly with me so far on this. And again, if you can go on iTunes and give me a five-star review, say a couple of nice words and just continue to like, subscribe and retweet, that would be, that would be everything. And Obviously, then I could eventually start monetizing this so that it isn't coming out of my pocket because, you know, to do this right, like I said earlier, it's going to cost money you know, to get my site. You know, right now I'm basically running a free site. I own the domain, but I'm running a free site through Weebly to, in order to have access to all the features to make it more of a professional site and to really grow the thing. It's going to take money and it's going to take resources and it's going to take an investment. So the more I can grow this, the more my social media following grows, the more you guys get in on the ground level with me and help me push this thing, you know, we could make this something. And I just, I'm excited about the future, but I don't want to get too ahead of myself either. So thank you guys for an amazing two weeks. Um, I know that one of the topics that was asked of me, and I actually got Jeremy Scully, my boy, to chime in with some fantasy casting. Uh, I'm actually going to save that for next week because it has to do with the Inhumans. When you guys tweeted at me, you wanted to hear about the Inhumans. Uh, so Scully is going to give me some input on that, and we're going to talk about that next week. 
And we're also going to, whatever, I'm not going to tease too much about next week. I've got some exciting stuff that I'm working on. I will let you guys know via the Twitter. And for now, thank you so much for listening to episode two of El Fanboy. And I will see y'all next week. Stay tuned.